as we welcome you streaming live from the center of the world growth mindsets podcast is back my name is brindon i am your host and i'm excited to deliver on the promise that we made last time myself and today's host today's guest sorry mr barry barry i know Mdisha. yeah we promised that we would have a second episode and the last episode ended on a very very fun note where barry had decided to make a swimming pool and <laughs> we had all this great narration of his story if you have not listened to that episode please scroll down don't listen to this one yet first listen to barry's story listen to how he ends up in the blockchain space why he is a blockchain lawyer now today we are going to get into what is current in the previous episode we explored how he evolved into what he is right now and today he's going to teach us he's going to share with us why he thinks blockchain is the next realm of success blockchain is the next is the future as they say it so barry it's a pleasure to have you again on the show thank you very much man i'm glad to be here again and i look forward to the discussion just to give those who who don't want to go back to the first i i recommend you go back to the first episode but if you're really really excited to know why blockchain is the future barry i know Mdisha, is one of the few blockchain lawyers that we have in the country and it is not because at Makere, there's a new course called blockchain and the law it's because he did the traditional law course at Makere and took an initiative to learn about blockchain and he has since emerged as an authority but also as a student of how the law can apply to the blockchain but that is not our topic today today we are going to delve a bit deep into the skin of blockchain which he understands quite well barry sir for anyone out there who fears the word blockchain mm. simplify it for them what is the blockchain okay so one of the main challenges we face when we are talking about blockchain is terminologies the biggest challenge which has actually inhibited massive adoption is partly terminologies and how complex those terms are said to be so for the common person they have a challenge with really understanding from the basics what the definition of blockchain is but from this discussion i hope we can simplify it for anyone listening in so that they can have a ground from which to build so a blockchain is a technology that is used in data storage transmission and also communicating value if we get it from that you can have a basis on which to build and later on when you come into contact with other terms they can fit into that basic definition because now the most common definition of a blockchain is related to cryptocurrency so there is a way it does not really give a broader perspective of what a blockchain is and what it does when you restrict it to finance and cryptocurrencies that is the most popular aspect of the blockchain now 
I like to use this analogy. Cryptocurrencies are very popular on the blockchain. Social media is very, very popular on the internet. Without blockchain technology, there is almost no cryptocurrency. Without the internet, there is no social media. So when you take our social media from the internet, the internet remains with a very big and wide scope of use cases. There is finance on the internet. There is the games on the internet. There is really so much to interact with on the internet, entertainment and the likes. So, but the most popular part of it is social media. Same thing with the blockchain. It is not restricted to just cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies are just one single aspect of the blockchain. I think that's so... Thank you. The fact that, one, you started from defining but not defining, and then you gave a relatable example. I think anyone in the audience now understands what a blockchain is. So if a blockchain is, in my normal words, I would say, is a new way of storing information, what then about the blockchain is different? Why shouldn't someone choose a traditional Excel? Why shouldn't someone choose to use their pen and paper? What is it about the blockchain that is unique and projects and uh, sends us into the future? Okay, now that brings me to the discussion on the features of the blockchain. One, all the other systems of data storage that you've mentioned, they are susceptible to things like cyber threats, they have issues concerning breaches, hacking, and the likes. So why the blockchain now comes in to be revolutionary and disruptive is one, because of the kind of security it offers whoever is using it, whether as a means of finance, whether using it in health and data storage anywhere. So one concept of the blockchain that makes it more attractive is how secure it is. So the biggest feature of the blockchain, besides it being decentralized, which we shall delve into later on, security is one of the most important components of the blockchain. The fact that a person who is not authorized to have access to a blockchain cannot at any one point have access is what makes it very important. If I have a private blockchain for data storage, let's say for a school or hospital, no third party can at any point have access to that kind of system. That also means that the blockchain is immune to things like hacking or other data and security breaches that are very common in other data storage systems. So from that point itself, the blockchain offers the biggest solution ever seen in data storage and transmission. But secondly, one of the other biggest features of the blockchain technology is decentralization. Now, what do we mean by decentralization? These are words that are usually thrown around when people are discussing blockchain and crypto and everything. But decentralization, look at it from the aspect of there is no single point of focus for this kind of information on these systems. Like right now, we know that NIRA is the center of all our information and data. So when there is at any attack on the data and information that NIRA stores, we know where that attack is going to take place. 
the information there is centralized. So what makes the blockchain or what we mean by decentralization is that there is no single particular focus that you're going to find that data information at. Because it is spread out. It is spread out in different components that you cannot easily get in touch with to have a single point that you can start from in case you want to have access or in case you want to manipulate the system. So the blockchain is decentralized, meaning it is all over. Right now, when they hack Nira, all our information is centrally there. It is gone. But if that information is on the blockchain, you will not get access to all the information Nira has because that information is going to be decentralized, meaning it is spread out in different nodes or different systems around the country. You cannot say hacked Nira and then manipulated all the information or any information there because that information is not just at Nira headquarters or even Nira website. So that is the kind of shift that blockchain does to systems and data storage. Wow. So from what you have just defined, this is unlike what we are used to, right? And as much as we have a glimpse of what the blockchain can do through crypto, its accessibility, its ease of transfer, the transparency of the Bitcoin blockchain, what is it about the blockchain philosophy that speaks to you that you even decided to shift from the traditional route of a lawyer to come into the blockchain space? Okay, that's a very interesting question. I think this is the very first time I'll be answering this question. So, blockchain has a very interesting philosophy. It's about people having control of things they own. And also being in charge of any information that they feel is important to them. But also, most importantly, is how do we communicate and retain value? And for example, I'll channel this to finance. Why blockchain stands out and why I've decided to zero down to blockchain as my field of focus is because of how revolutionary it is in terms of communicating value, in terms of exchanging information. We imagine a, a system that does not use third parties or intermediaries in doing anything. For example, if it's in finance, we're imagining a system of peer-to-peer -peer, from Brindon to Barry immediately without any intermediary. We're also looking at things like privacy and data protection. So for so long, there have been very few players in the internet field that man or control all the data and information that we know. And that also stems from things like Google searches or the information that we want to find out. All that information is controlled by a single big player known as Google. That is the person in charge of all the information that we access. So in case of anything now, what is, what is our second option? Well, you might say there are other search engines and the likes, but that information is on some servers. It's on some systems. 
it is not somewhere we can say even if something happens we can still retrieve that kind of information but still on the point of philosophy when we look at what initiated the invasion of the blockchain in 2008 but it was later on rolled out in 2009 with a bitcoin the man behind that invasion known as satoshi nakamoto sat down and said we need to bring power and control back to the people everyone has to be in charge of everything they own and the kind of value they are creating and mainly this was in the point of finance and uh, transmission of value from one person to another if for example and by the way that was shortly after the 2008 financial crisis on that before you go away from that most of the people don't realize the significance of the fact that whoever satoshi is whatever their intentions were was immediately after some of one of the most trying times yeah that life has ever had and i think that is one of the reasons one of the arguments i bring up whenever i'm talking to people that say bitcoin is not the only crypto asset like myself and michael sailor believe there's only one <laughs> there's no second best yeah yeah the conditions in which a crypto the bitcoin blockchain was put in place yeah were informed not by the need to scale the need to reach everyone i know they were informed by a philosophy of fuck this was painful yeah how do i avoid this how can we make sure that the world never gets to be in this position again i don't think there is anyone who will make another crypto with those same conditions no now when it comes to the philosophy of how he brought all these aspects of the blockchain together because the blockchain didn't just exist in 2008 2009 yeah yeah the aspects that he brought together in one place and suggested a monetary system based on those was i assume could have been informed by all this turmoil that was going on and what speaks into what you have just said is the same reasons why he decided to use these specific features was the reason why we lost all what we lost in 2008 yeah. was because we lacked some of those most of those features true so when it comes to you interacting with the blockchain you interacting with bitcoin and all these other cryptos what has constantly changed both in a good way and today i'm going to ask you very very particular questions okay i hope you realize okay. it okay yeah that what in its exactness has shifted are we astray are we still on the right track have we matured on that track or are we moving backwards okay those are very philosophical questions so to begin with are we on the right path considering how bitcoin came about and how the bitcoin blockchain was built 
and under what conditions and circumstances satoshi whoever they are or he is or she is decided to build that system oh by the way we say whoever he or she or they are because no one knows where satoshi is no one knows who satoshi is so the only thing we know is that there is someone who could have been a group that invented this thing and decided to eliminate himself or herself from the bigger picture of everything that he invented so now back to the question are we on the right path this innovation is as old as about 15 years that is from around 2009 up to date so the metrics that we are using to measure its success and whether we are on the right path should be cognizant of the time frame that it has lived up to date the thing we can closely compare it to is when the internet had just been rolled out or invented and people are still trying to they were struggling to define what the internet was uh, there is a, a very famous video of uh, bill gates on a certain show trying to define what the internet was and someone was asking him i do you mean like a radio is that some kind of television is it like a digital newspaper all in one so the definition of the internet was as complex in 1980s as the definition of blockchain and cryptocurrencies are right now because at that point people were trying to understand these different technologies in their nascent stages which is very fine and very perfect but what i'm trying to show you is that these things have evolution measures they have maturity stages right now no one will ask you to define the internet hell no we all understand what it is we all know what it is you no one is going to ask you to define what the internet is but then the question is how long did it take for the world to fully embrace the internet to the point where they don't have to ask what it is they just ask is the internet on or is the internet off but that stage of the internet getting white is right now was not one that was without flaws or failures so if you have paid close attention to the evolution of the internet you must have a, you must have come across something known as the dot com bubble the dot com bubble that put tech stocks and very many tech based companies out of business the last time i checked the statistics were that the dot com bubble wiped out around 5 trillion us dollars the cryptocurrency capitalization right now is around 3 trillion us dollars we have lost about 1 trillion in this bear market phase and all the crashes that have happened so i'm trying to show you that whatever is happening in the crypto space has not reached the magnitude that the dot com bubble reached when it burst in 2000 i've been following up what has been happening uh, over the last few months and most importantly or most dramatically recent last week with ftx so that brings me back to the question are we on the right path i think we are in the path of evolution when the path of building 
And throughout that stage, there have to be mistakes. Some projects will not work out, but the only way we can know that some things will not work out is try them and they fail. So we should not we should not give these some of these key players that have dared to try or innovate in this space a villain face. Like what happened with Sam Bachman Freight. He had to first do that thing to figure out that this thing can actually not work in this crypto space. Question. Yes. Before you progress, do you think the actions that happened and whatever he was trying to do, was it aligned with the core? Today we're going to discuss philosophy. Okay. The core philosophy um, beliefs that are embedded in the idea of blockchain and Bitcoin, let's say, as a first use case. Do you think that in the trueness of how the blockchain is trying to be, is it with it? Is it with the same trueness that his uh, actions were? No. And why? Because if you look at how FTX was operating, and we all got to know about their business model and their operation after it had collapsed. Sorry to interrupt again. It's okay. Do we think we should re-strategize, rethink how we view crypto projects? Should we start to evaluate them based on that philosophy? And and this can be answered after okay. the one you were answering. Okay, so I was saying that we all got to fully understand the FTX business model after it had collapsed. That's when we figured out that they are using customer deposits as capital in another company and then using some tokens that they created themselves as collateral for other loans and debt financing. So that is the basic way all traditional banks operate. So what Sam Bachman-Fried was doing with FTX is what every other bank does. Customer deposits are used, to, are used for loans elsewhere. They're used to finance different projects, but hoping that whoever takes the loans will pay back on time or they trade with the same kind of capital. But now the difference could be that there is some measure of stringent regulations that these banks undergo, which hasn't yet matured in the crypto space. I've, I've, I've been making some noise about the kind of prudential regulations that we should have in the crypto space to ensure consumer protection. Like, for example, in the tradition of finance, we have depositor protection fund where we know that every person who has invested or deposited their money with a certain bank, that money is insured, even if that entity collapses. And that also comes from the point of minimum capital requirement to establish these institutions like banks and other financial institutions. If, for example, we say that for every institution that is going to put itself up in the crypto space as an exchange platform for different cryptocurrencies and other tokens and for trading have the equivalent at least the ratio of one to one in reserves reserves we can prove we can guarantee some kind of prudential measures to make sure that when something happens these reserves are here and also that usually comes from the point of 
was the collapse engineered by the founders or is it a point of negligence for the people running the entity? So that when it happens and we know this company has failed, there is a reserve, a deposit protection that can, can guarantee that people are going to get back their funds. Or even that the certain money that we're required to pay somewhere as minimum capital requirement can be used to finance all the things and ensure there is liquidity for people to get back their money. But again, before you ask another question, I see you preparing. The philosophy of Bitcoin and blockchain was heavily diverted from with FTX and how it was operating. The whole essence of Bitcoin and uh, blockchain was not to have people's value manipulated by another third party. Like what FTX was doing. People did not have control of their own funds. And I think this whole FTX saga has triggered a very important discussion um, where exchanges are now trying to show proof of funds, proof of reserves for people's funds. But also that brings us to the point of self-custody of the Bitcoin and the money that people are storing and exchanging using the blockchain technology. You had uh, another question, Brenda. I don't know from what point, because I feel like I've talked so much about these things. Now, I have two, one. One is a comment, yeah. one is a question. Yeah. The true nature of Bitcoin, the true nature of blockchain, yeah. does not provide for such a thing as proof. Mm. It provides for such a thing as truth. True. For you to do A, B, C, D, you must have A, B, C, D. Yeah. If you don't have uh, A, B, C, D, you won't be able to transact. True. The fact that we are bringing in the idea of proof of reserves. Yeah. Personally, I feel like we are going away from the philosophy. We are going away from all these characteristics that you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. That for something to be as transparent, you don't need to prove it. I get you. Like, my idea is these exchanges don't need to have proof of reserves. They need to be proof of reserves. I don't know if that, like, in real time, yeah. we should be able to look into Binance. They don't need to, at the end of every week, tell me that we moved this, we have this on our account. Mm. That, I think, is the philosophy. The philosophy is transparency from the word go. That even if a transaction is not yet added to the blockchain, yeah. you can find it in the memory pool and be able to know that this transaction came from this address. It's, it's going, going to, to this, this address. address. This These value. are the fees. Yeah. This is the value. Like yeah. All the details are there. You don't need to, to go an extra mile. So for me, it's, it's a discussion I don't have an answer to. It's 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 a comparison of the present, yeah, the what was, and the what should be, because sometimes I like to explore things from first principle. Where has this thing of proof of reserves come from? First if, suggested if, if, by who? We know who first suggested it. 
I think I think if I'm to speculate, if I'm to speculate, I think the concept of proof of reserves comes from a point that when FTX collapsed or when it was nearing its collapse, they realized that they actually had no money in reserve to cash out all their customers. So not at any one point could FTX be in a position to issue out or confirm all the withdrawals that were being ordered on their exchange platform. So that meant that they did not have reserves of the cash that people deposited. We looked at uh, at their financials where they had one billion US dollars in assets and then About nine, nineteen nine billion, billion in, in, liabilities. in liabilities. Yeah. So there is no way you can recover from that. So what I think the point of proof of reserves originated from CZ. Where I was trying to show that that happened and now for us to be secure, all exchanges CZ is like the head boy of, of crypto now, crypto <laughs> exchanges. So it's like now. <laughs> All other exchanges. I wish you would hear this clip. <laughs> because he's setting the pace. And now when he said for Binance, here are our reserves. Wasn't that Bitcoin. a defense mechanism? It was. I think what he's trying to do is to make sure that he doesn't run out of business. That's yeah, he doesn't thought. run out of business and he's trying to regain people's confidence in his business model and his platform that yeah that happened and everything but look for us we are safe this is how much bitcoin we have in reserves as far as people are depositing and this is how much ethereum we have bnb and the likes so not at any one point can this thing happen to us that is what he was trying to show with his proof of of reserves and now we've seen other exchange platforms like Huboy or KuCoin also rushing to show their proof of reserves. We have this. And some of them are, do this. actually, some of them are exposing the problems within yes. their business models. Yes, yes. But also, just, just one point that you mentioned, how we are diverting from the true concepts of Bitcoin right from the start and how we, where we are right now. The cryptocurrency space has continuously grown that now all the other cryptocurrencies which are commonly known as altcoins are not built on the same fundamentals as Bitcoin. And that's where the problem, if we are to identify it as a problem, starts from. Because not every other crypto token is going to have the same fundamentals as Bitcoin, the mother of, of them all. Ideally, the best thing would have been if you're going to have any other cryptocurrency, let it have the same model, the same fundamentals, same concepts as Bitcoin. But then you can have whatever purpose you want for it. But from the point of um, decentralization, from the point of uh, having the control, from the point of transparency and truth, you can maintain those basic aspects. But we have seen that several other cryptocurrencies have very many um divergent fundamentals some none at all some are just merely existent they don't even have their own blockchains so when we're in that position it now becomes hard to maintain truth and that kind of transparency on these exchange platforms that is how these other companies and exchanges are trying to show proof of reserves because they cannot have the same transparency as we can have 
with the Bitcoin. So it originates from that point that since the invention or creation of Bitcoin, we've had other many cryptocurrencies that have or operate on different fundamentals altogether. I think you have uh, done justice to my question. And a few comments before I, today I had very specific questions for you and I hope you feel it. Mm-mm. I already feel it. Yes, that you have talked about the idea of these new cryptocurrencies based on a technology that is... Ideally, this is, this is for someone who is not so technical. Let me break for you down. Majority of the cryptocurrencies right now. Majority of the cryptocurrencies right now exist on other blockchains. Yeah. So by default, if the blockchains they exist on have a flow, they, they also all, they all have the same flow. They have the same flow. Bringing it back to the core, most of the blockchains that we have right now, aside of Bitcoin, are solving are solving on top of the problem that Ethereum was solving. Yeah. In quotes. So, if the philosophy, if and only if, to anyone who is not in agreement with me, if the philosophy of proof of stake, yeah, the philosophy of Ethereum does not work. And I'm saying the, not saying the one of Bitcoin is the most superior. If it does not work, how many levels are there to crumble? domino effect they will all go very many that is one question for the audience anyone who is a bit technical about our space will know what i'm referring to that the philosophy we now have two philosophies that we are discussing in the space one is that of yes everyone needs to adopt bitcoin uh, sorry everyone needs to adopt crypto use it simplifies transactions what 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 but at the core of the Bitcoin philosophy is something preventive. The preventive nature of Bitcoin for mistake initiated by human has been ignored greatly in these new mechanisms that we have. And it is not foreign. It is not new. It's a discussion that everyone, including the people at the helm of all these new blockchains, the Solanas, the Ethereums, know mm. that the moment you speak of governance, every time I hear governance token this, governance token that, then there's a weakness. So, today's space is a different one. Today's space is not that of, oh, this is the takeaway. This is a space for reflection for anyone who understands what I am saying. Or you can go back and actually understand. Use this as as an advantage to get to know why do we even arrive to have such a discussion. Yeah. That there is a core, there is where everything about the blockchain stems from. And when you understand that core, you start to realign and say, well, I'm willing to take this risk, but I understand it. I'm willing to mm. use an exchange, but I understand it. Yeah. 
is an exchanger destination or a route or a pathway. I'm willing to have this ETH token, but for how long? How much do I want to put there? Yeah. So, a lot of, I think for me, between uh, today and the previous four or five days, it has been, why really am I here? Why really am I a crypto? Cancel that. Why am I a Bitcoin advocate? If you have seen my Twitter handle, I always talk about Bitcoin with passion. What exactly is the philosophy that brought me into this space? Yeah, yeah. Actually, when you ask that question about um, exchanges and uh, Bitcoin, I, I got an idea of... You see, these exchanges are equivalent of banks but in the crypto space yes and now the difference is that with bitcoin you have a chance to trade it and exchange it on the exchange but you also have an option to store your bitcoin off the exchange and you do what we call self-custody one thing i i I want to share with our audience that if you went to the bitcoin blockchain and you looked for the address of an exchange. And this is why I love Bitcoin. If you looked for the address of the exchange, the only difference there is between yours, the one that you can create now by downloading an Electrum wallet, wallet of Satoshi, any of these decentralized wallets, yeah. is the amount. Only. All the other facts and details are there. So... The uniqueness of an exchange, the bigness that you see, is on top. At the core, you and the and the exchange have the same authority. True. The only detail that you miss is that you hand over your power to that exchange. To now. that exchange. And now, the comparison I wanted to make was, with Bitcoin, you have that chance. You have two options. Buy Bitcoin do self-custody, keep it off the exchange. In traditional finance, when you purchase any financial product, let's say uh, treasury bills and bonds, or you deposit your money in the bank, there is no option of self-custody in traditional finance. Whatever you've purchased, if you've made a deposit, it's going to be in that financial institution. The only self-custody you can have is to keep money under your bed. But also does th- that does not really fulfill all the other principles of self-custody that we have with Bitcoin. Things like safety, um, you, you're cautioned from the danger and the risks that these exchanges and other platforms have. While regaining and retaining your value, that option is not in traditional financial banking. And just to, to add a bit of icing on the cake, you can have all that. And take an example of what is happening to the Nigerian currency. They are changing the notes. So if you have self-custodied your money, it hasn't lost yeah. value, it has fulfilled all those details. <laughs> After five years or six years, they'll be like, ah, guys, we are changing the president who is on the note. Yeah. Bring yeah. back the notes. Like what's happening in the UK. So most people who have come into this space 
different people have come into this space differently. The first time I transacted, I used local bitcoins. Local bitcoins didn't have custodial services. They didn't have wallet. Yeah. You would go with your wallet address. They said, and that is the first form of transaction I did. And I have never found it to be hard. Most people mm. say self-custody is hard. Having your own your own wallet with the money is hard. I'm like, is it as hard as you going to the ATM machine every time you want to withdraw? Is that the same process you go through when you're moving money from your decentralized wallet to the exchange? And we are going to have this conversation later on. I know the podcast will leave people... Uh, people who will listen to this podcast might not participate, but we're having yeah, a Twitter yeah. space later on. That the same... We are comparing custody services in the crypto space. But that's not the problem. The problem, the philosophy of blockchain is to solve traditional problem versus the new solution. Yeah. That if you're running away from the bank system, don't just replicate it in this. True. Like what FTX did. Like what all exchanges do. Every exchange that has custodial services, I am sorry. They are banks. They are banks. The exchanges are very important. Go there, buy your crypto, remove it. And it's what I was telling you. This is where now the point of philosophy of Bitcoin diverts or is distinguishable from the philosophy of other cryptocurrencies. You cannot, can you store your Shiba Inu? On a Bitcoin wallet? Yeah. No, you can't. Exactly. So you see, Shiba, Doge, and all other cryptocurrencies, now they have a, their own challenge of you cannot take them off the exchange. Now, those are the cryptocurrencies that are facilitating or maintaining exchanges. So, we... First... First repeat what you have just said. Yeah. So, we who are Bitcoiners can take our Bitcoin off exchanges and do self-custody. But that will not put an end to the business of exchanges. Because exchanges, you know, Bitcoin is just one. Being the very first cryptocurrency mm-hmm. or yeah, the first, first of its nature. Mm-hmm. And then there are what we call altcoins, meaning alternative coins yeah. or the other cryptocurrencies. That are over three hundred and so on. Three, three million, I think. I think now there's naira in it. As 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 Papanda said us today morning. So there are very many other cryptocurrencies that are going to facilitate the use of exchange platforms because they don't have self custody options like Bitcoin does. Unless, of course, from this kind of debacle and everything, we understand that every crypto can now have self-custody measures for it to remain legitimate in this space. In short, every crypto should have its own blockchain. Exactly. If a, a certain cryptocurrency does not have its own blockchain, what is your point of trust in it? Besides the hype, yeah, there's a hashtag and everything that doing airdrops. What, what, is, what is the point of trust? What cultivates trust in you? To believe this cryptocurrency 
if you cannot have an any alternative means of storing it off a centralized exchange because if you're really into cryptocurrency you understand that the biggest concept of cryptocurrency is decentralization yeah so if you cannot have a decentralized approach to a certain cryptocurrency that you think you believe in or you're a fanatic of how then what is your conviction for you to maintain that cryptocurrency as part of your portfolio i think that is what we call speculation in cryptocurrency today's discussion today's discussion is going to be a very big one let's 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 now step away from the idea of philosophy yeah and step into the realm of why is it that some people have understood better than others this philosophy why is it that in the recent crash yeah there are multimillionaires who have lost money yeah and there are dolly they call it <laughs> <laughs> at the level where you are not a millionaire what do they call you a thousand year or something <laughs> hundred year yeah there are people who have hundred dollars in crypto and they still have it yeah yeah if we are speaking into the concept of wealth this person is more wealthy than the other true the hundred year <laughs> <laughs> is more wealthy than the person who just lost money yes they understood the concepts they understood the philosophy at what level do people become different at what level do people lose out okay um i think that first of all goes to the point of the first interaction with cryptocurrency where do you get your first information or even what's the first information you interact with when you are dealing with cryptocurrencies for very many people they don't understand how bitcoin came about very many people who claim to be into cryptocurrency they or they actually even have big portfolios in cryptocurrency or incidentally some of them actually even have bitcoin but they don't understand the origin of bitcoin to appreciate the philosophy from the point of the white paper that was issued by satoshi to understand why was in the first place bitcoin invented because there is a very big reason the why question is why what informs the bitcoin philosophy so very many people have not taken time to understand the why part of cryptocurrency the why part of bitcoin and now some people just find it midway they don't go to the roots their approach with cryptocurrency is from the stem stem then they rush the branches then they want to move to the top so you cannot cheat the system and now what ftx did what happened with ftx has shown us that you cannot cheat the system we need to be reminded the first principles of cryptocurrency first principles of bitcoin why in the first place did we get to this point of bitcoin and why is it said to be the future of finance so the people have lost money in cryptocurrency some of them actually understand 
they understand what cryptocurrency is they understand the advantages of having bitcoin they understand the philosophy but now for some reason the key players have not re-emphasized the philosophy of bitcoin no exchange has repeatedly issued out statements or articles or held spaces or any discussions about the philosophy of cryptocurrency why are we where we are now so just because of that there are masses that have eventually lost track of the philosophy of the background reason as to why bitcoin and cryptocurrency came about in the first place it has now become a point of business come to us buy crypto because now they also have the approach of the markets are doing their thing tomorrow it may go up i'll be the next millionaire there is nothing i hate like the get rich quick approach to <laughs> cryptocurrency my god so uh, so you you you've you've highlighted something core about exchanges i want to imagine this and i am going to first punch people in the face by saying this shoot if at all we used these exchanges for their real purpose which is even in the name they call themselves exchanges yeah some of them would not be as big as they are right now sure we have actually diverted from using the exchanges for their intended purpose of being exchanges and we have made them custodial wallets and as a regulator sir i want to task you in the regulations you make <laughs> let us differentiate these two yeah uh, i'm actually working on a paper that is going to issue guidelines for regulation of crypto exchanges there are two categories right now yeah there is a place where you go you buy and sell and sell yeah there's a place where you go you buy and store and store those i, I think it is very important to distinguish to distinguish those true if you offer the services of buying and selling go ahead yeah. i mean i don't have a problem with you you don't have people's money so those exchanges are marketplaces exactly so we cannot bundle all of them into one we cannot give all exchanges one single definition yeah because there are ones that you can buy from and sell and then go away and then there are those where you can buy from and store i think those that's we need to get a new word that's not exchanging <laughs> mm. those are not exchanges custodial wallets they have exchanging services but that's not their core business True. i feel like we have gone from the idea of of uh, blockchain and crypto to the idea of liquidity provision true uh, yeah actually yes like someone who holds the Actually let me give you let me give you uh the best scenario we can use here. We have very many forex bureaus in this city. Very many. Yeah. Whenever you have US dollars, 
and you're exchanging the US dollar. You never leave your money with a forex bureau. You know? You? Those are the exchanges that we have. There is no forex bureau in town that says since you have exchanged US dollars for shillings or for pounds, leave you can there is an option to leave 50% of whatever you've exchanged here and you take the balance if you don't want to use it immediately. None. Because even in their definitions from their business model from their setup they were not meant to have those custodial rights on behalf of another person their client so at what point do these exchanges now evolve into custodial entities to hold people's assets and now this is what i talk about right from the beginning the the point of the philosophy being different because now for Bitcoin, we understand there is that option. For other cryptocurrencies that don't have their own blockchain, there is, no there is none. So that leaves them with one option to store their cryptocurrency or their money, their value on the exchange. So even in regulation, we may not be able to take away the custodial aspect of the exchanges because there are very many cryptocurrencies that use the exchange as their custody platform i think uh, most tokens can be taken off exchanges but they can't be taken off blockchains that's what you're trying to yes. mean that as much as you can take i don't know which token ematic yeah. off binance you can't take ematic off ethereum true that the the custodial services of binance can be eliminated but the custodial services of ethereum the blockchain cannot be eliminated cannot be eliminated yeah which is more than i think about 70 or 90 percent of the cryptocurrencies exactly. that we have exactly so now that also poses a challenge to regulators because now to distinguish that kind of thing that we've just talked about here <laughs> now, <laughs> you have to be grounded in you have knowledge. to be grounded in this space you have to understand what's the challenge that these other cryptocurrencies face when it comes to storage mm. then also understand what's the other option that the other cryptocurrencies have as an advantage over the others yeah so from the point of regulation i think we can at this point there is no country that can have the most comprehensive or the most perfect regulation for cryptocurrencies or digital assets the laws have to people who are drafting these laws have to know that this space is evolving mm. in 1990s no one could have imagined that we can have a computer misuse act we we needed first have a computer use act exactly <laughs> like because now people have understood that there are different platforms that people are doing different things on and they now need to regulate that idea could not have happened in 1990 the internet had to evolve up to 2005 2006 for twitter and and uh, facebook to come about and then people understand okay we have a new challenge before us so the regulators who are saying we need to take a back seat and and watch and spectate the crypto space as it evolves 
they are doing their own citizens a disservice. You cannot have comprehensive law over space, over technological space. You can never. What you do, like I usually say, you play catch up as the space evolves. We are still having regulations for the internet up to date. We have online payments. We have, uh, for example, payment systems that are being regulated every day. We have a new aspect of the internet that is being regulated. Same thing with cryptocurrencies. Now, we understand the basics of what is happening in the crypto space. This space has been here long enough since 2009 up to date. We have seen where money is lost. We have seen aspects that are being exploited by fall players. We are seeing the advantages. We are seeing an other evolutions. From what we've gathered so far, how do we consolidate that into regulation? Not suffocate the technology, but to offer consumer protection to the end users of this technology. So for every time we say it is too soon, maybe we shall not have comprehensive. Who, who, who stands to lose? What do you lose right now if you say for every exchange to operate in this country, you must first deposit 5 million US dollars somewhere to guarantee us that whatever happens from the point of your collapse, every person is going to be reassured of receiving their equivalent of deposit with you. In, in my small regulator knowledge, <laughs> <laughs> that 500 million could be on um, a view only yes wallet yeah owned by the exchange and the government and the people exactly that if at all these guys go beyond their deposit the other side you have to increase your you have to like your reserve like automatically the system should be able to cap you yeah you, you can no longer you can no longer transact this because you have reached your limit. True. One to one. One Ratio to one. One to one. So for every time we say we are not ready to have comprehensive law for cryptocurrency, we are exposing citizens to all these things that are happening right now, like FTX. Mm. So some I, th I thank. By the way, on a serious note. I want to say this publicly on the space. I thank the Lord that all our efforts to make FTX I, uh, go to exchange here in Uganda were frustrated in a way. <laughs> because I don't know to what extent I would be answering questions. By the way, Brendan here was the FTX ambassador in Uganda. But luckily, before everything happened, he had resigned his position to focus on his role in skill having. By God's grace... The ambassador part, well and good, but the fact that people had not jumped in on. And truthfully speaking, in the times when I was bringing them on board, I couldn't have envisioned the idea of teach them self-custody. And I think this is something that is going to be more pronounced in the education sessions that we do. Yeah, yeah. That everyone has to understand the importance of self-custody. True. This discussion will keep evolving. It will keep growing. Yeah. And I'm sure of all the people I will host on this space, on this platform of growth mindsets, you will be the most fun idiot. <laughs>
as we conclude yeah what should someone look out for where do they learn how to self custody their crypto yeah and I, I think before before we give the parting shots uh from the onset when we're starting you asked a very fundamental question we say that blockchain and cryptocurrency is the future a space that some people have decided to make a career out of what 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 informs that why do they say it is the future of finance and i think that that takes us to some features of bitcoin because bitcoin is the most reliable cryptocurrency that we can talk about here after yeah. the michael saylor says we need to distinguish bitcoin from cryptocurrency <laughs> that's the truth so there were background thoughts to arrive at bitcoin things like state engineered inflation that is as a result of manipulation of circulation of money states having authority and free will with their central banks to print more money and issue it out and then cause inflation and then the citizens are the ones to suffer with the central banks in different countries saying we're now increasing our interest rate we are now you know everything that happens when inflation happens commodity prices increasing and then money losing value so when bitcoin was being rolled out it was so specific to say that we're going to have a maximum circulation capacity of bitcoin that no person in this world is going to be able to manipulate the supply or circulation of bitcoin just like central banks can manipulate the circulation and supply of money in their states for example el salvador before they had bitcoin as their legal tender yeah they could have had every other opportunity and right to increase circulation of whatever was their currency in their country at will yeah but after el salvador zeroed down to bitcoin and they said ladies and gentlemen from today onwards bitcoin is their legal tender it meant that el salvador had given in or surrendered their power and authority to create new bitcoin in circulation for their country El Salvador handed in the authority to the people to say that from now on we are not in position to manipulate circulation of money in this country that is bitcoin so there is a way it it shifts control from central banks and governments and guarantees people that your value today is your value tomorrow the state is not going to play a role in inflation Unfortunately the only kind of inflation you might suffer is massive disruption in global supply chains. So that is one thing that Bitcoin resolves that is not talked about enough. So imagine that right now very all the countries or 30% or 50% of the countries that adopt Bitcoin as their legal tender. That means that we have seen an end of state engineered inflation printing money for stimulus packages no you will have no right over that and i think that is what scares some governments they claim not to have understood bitcoin and cryptocurrency and how they work but they understand where the biggest pinch is losing that kind of power when especially in african countries when we are nearing elections there are massive printouts 
of cash to finance election activities. Of course, this is not done overnight. It is done systematically not to create an, an overwhelming loss of value in an economy. It can take five years or four years. But eventually, they have achieved their aim. They have printed more money. They have caused some level of inflation because they have a goal to fulfill. The moment you surrender or you submit to Bitcoin, it means, like for example today, we have 19 million Bitcoin in circulation. You will be within the restraints of 19 million Bitcoin. You cannot go beyond that. And I, I, besides the countries um, being so paranoid about losing the power to print new money, I think there is so much they stand to benefit. You will still have the taxes that you are receiving. You just have to structure your systems. For example, uh, the, the, the taxation system I've enjoyed of like over time is what India has done. India has said, yes, cryptocurrency, we are stuck with this dumb thing. Let's see how we can monetize it as a state. They have imposed capital gains tax. If you hold your crypto or your Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, it gains capital and you're trying to liquidate it. You're going to pay 20% of that to the state. The debate can be around... Um, the 20%. 20%. I was coming for you yes, on that. The Thank debate can be about <laughs> 20% and 30% of the, the percentage of what has been imposed. But the beauty is that the state has seen models of earning from that. It might not be the most conducive legislation to foster adoption it might be infringing on some people that are in this space but at least the state has played a role to show that there is a way we can monetize this technology and it can be an additional source of revenue for this country very many countries can borrow from that they what india did they did not delve into the complexities of trying to define is bitcoin a security is it a commodity i think that is that is that discussion is not necessary the other country I've looked at from a regulatory point is Botswana. Botswana has not looked at digital assets from the point of securities or commodities. All that discussion is really not so important right now. We can classify these, these things as assets. If we say they are assets, whatever form they take with the securities or commodities, let's say they are a new form of assets then we give them their own class of regulation. Botswana actually established a very interesting institution under their law. They established what we call the Non-Banking Financial Institution Authority. Non-Banking Financial Institution Authority. To be the authority in charge of the digital asset business in the country because it is part of finance. So, that is a very great case study that every other country, especially Uganda, can borrow from. You don't have to, because now when you say it is uh, a security, then you give a whole new burden to Capital Markets Authority to oversee the stocks and everything and, and now also oversee the crypto assets business mm. and industry. But when you establish a whole new authority, like the non banking financial institution authority we have created a whole different system that is going to oversee and manage the operations of the digital assets in that country that is very progressive and that, indeed that is where the law comes in and indeed as a lawyer you are also very progressive 
that one of the least spoken about things that you talked about is also how progressive you are. Like, <laughs> it is least spoken about. So, Barry Bliss, I'm sure we could go on and on and on. True. I would love to thank you for sharing detail about what we have just shared. And please keep us updated about the paper that you're working on. Yeah. Everything that is low right now was suggested or thought about or refined by someone. True. We continue to welcome whichever idea comes up your legal mind. We shall continue to share with you this platform. Anytime we make a groundbreaking legal thought, let's share it here. Sure. Uh, this, this, this is a very great platform that we're actually decentralizing information about different things, about innovation, about tech, about building, about technology, also about people's stories. Yeah. So this platform is decentralizing information. We take the compliment. Thank you very much, Council Barry, I know Mdisha, for making time to sit with us and our audience at the Growth Mindsets podcast. Just a highlight for anyone who has not listened to how Barry gets this insightful, <laughs> please go back and look for the episode we did with Barry. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, episode two. And you will understand more about Barry. But for this podcast, we thank him very much. We thank you, our audience, for listening. Till the next. Thank you very much. <laughs>